tie you open this up? Oh, go ahead. This okay. is your deal. So, oh, oh, yeah. there's a little background on this show. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. Little background on this show <laughs> is when we started, right? Darren and Ben are like, "Oh, Tyler, you're the intro guy. You bring us in. Like, that's your that's your deal." It was like the only value I brought to the show. Well, Ben kind of weaseled his oh, way into that yeah. position, and literally, you're about to see why. This for the past year be. and a half or so. That's been his deal. That's been his deal. And so if I yeah, say anything just, now, like oh, he gets like, over there all red faced, he gets yeah. all pissed because that's his thing. <laughs> yeah, this better be the best intro ever. Now after that, oh, after that, God. appreciate you. And we're live with Josh Smith, the head man in charge at Montana Knife Company. Uh, actually, just drove in from a hunt. Yep. Um, which is foreign to me. Never been hunting, not a day in my life. Darren, you've been hunting what once? Once. Yeah. One time. Yeah. So Tyler, this may be a uh, an episode where you two just just take it forward and and we kind of just sit here and so out. Nothing, yeah, neat, nothing anyways, easy. So you want to rotate the chair? <laughs> yeah. and we just kind of interlock our <laughs> legs and just yeah. get this thing done. <laughs> no man, appreciate you driving up. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's it's an honor. It's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. some tough shit though. Knives, hunting. <clears throat> Yeah, like man, man, like manly shit that that these two guys know nothing about. So just, we're <laughs> yeah. gonna hit it off right, man. Yeah, yeah it's. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm definitely fortunate to have carved out a a pretty cool little space to be living in for no sure. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 that's good. Oh, yeah. That's, that's good. good. Yeah, but the reason we reached out and, and me, somebody who's never hunted a day in my life, but intrigued by it, Darren, same thing. And I told you this off air. What I love about this country and what I love about America is that you can literally make a living doing just about anything. And yep. for you, you found your niche, you've carved your niche mm -hmm. in the knife making world. And I think that's just so fascinating, so cool that you pursued that from a young age. And yep. then we'll get yeah. into that here in a second. Um, but you've made a career out of it, you made a life out of it, and you're impacting a lot of people yeah. Yeah. through it. And yeah, I think and, that's just so awesome. What's awesome too about it is, is, a lot of people say, oh, hey, I want to do this. Or it's something that I love that I'm passionate about. But not overlooking the idea that you're one of the best in the world to do it. Yeah. You have to be excellent in order to create mm -hmm. the platform that you have with the company. And, and you know, I get, I've heard a bunch of uh, podcasts and shows that you've been on. And it's like, oh, well, you just kind of came out of nowhere. Well, you haven't come out of nowhere. It's like right. I, I mentioned earlier when we were talking, um, uh, Aaron Watson has a song called fence post and it's i became an overnight sensation in just over 10 years yeah. like being on the road grinding playing like bars and honky tonks like and then you come on the scene and you know you, you get joe rogan to endorse you, you get cam hain to endorse you. Like, oh where this where this company come from you've been doing it yeah for 30 mm -hmm. plus years yeah and yeah becoming the best in the world mm -hmm. and doing it yeah and i i think it's like it's it's like anything where people start to achieve some kind of some great things or some cool things is there's, there's always more to that iceberg than the little piece mm -hmm. sticking out of the water. And there's always that. And it's generally work, you know, behind the scenes. Um, <clears throat> you know, even if, you know, in the sports world, you, you see some guy drafted in the first round and it's like, Oh, he's so lucky. He's getting millions of dollars. He just got drafted. It's like, yeah, but there's a whole iceberg of work that that kid probably put mm -hmm. in from the time he was five years old on yeah. Yeah. all those hours in the gym. And for me, it's like the hours in the knife shop, all the thinking about it, um, the planning, the execution, like, um, yeah, it's been, it is interesting. People say it all the time. A guy yesterday, like, Hey, you guys just came out of nowhere. And it's like, yeah, I bet I've been making knives for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to, we want to hear more about that. And, uh, yeah. And you, it's funny you said that because we've talked about this about Darren. You know, Darren was a second-round pick. You know, so you think 
21 years old, handed millions of dollars, but he was running sprints at seven years old. Right. He was, you know, grinding, lifting weight. Maybe doing, not that young. But maybe yeah. not that old. Yeah. But yeah. but the point is, years of work yeah, went into is. that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I, before we continue, sorry, with your story, I do got to give a shout out. We've got Bert Soren over here off to the side. I mm-hmm. wish we had a fifth microphone because – I'm geeking out right now. This is this is the kind of guy that I'm interested in. Uh, you really wanted about. him to yeah. be on, you could have given up your seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, so, Bert, we'll have to have you fly back in, man, and we can have you on. Bert, Bert, um, Bert couldn't have done the intro like that. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Ben, ben will set right. up a hunt for you, and yeah. then you come back in. Yeah. And no, we'll, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This, 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 pod, this podcast will actually lead back around to Bert later. So yeah. You know, yeah. Yes, we're wondering why we asked you to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Bert, come on. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, man, let's let's talk about your story. Let's get back to the beginning. We'd love yeah. to hear where it all started for you again. We know it started at a young age. I think 11 years old is when you actually yep. first started. But let's go back to the very beginning. What was family life like? Where were you born? Where were you raised? All that good stuff. Yeah, I was I was actually very few people know this. I was actually born in Colorado Springs, but my as soon as I was born, I think two days later, uh, my parents they they had planned on leaving Colorado. That's my dad grew up in a ranching family there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's family was all from Montana, and so they wanted to live in Montana. So we actually moved north uh, to Montana. Uh, moved to uh, Lincoln, Montana is where I grew up, kind of right on the edge of the Bob Marshall Wilderness. It's a small little logging town. Um, my parents started an excavation business. Uh, actually told Bert today they, you know, they had $50 when they got married. And, you know, by the time I graduated, I had this construction company that, you know, four backhoes and an excavator and trucks. And, you know, kind of later on as we'll get into my story, um, you know, that American dream, like yeah. it's possible all, and we talked about today all through hard work, you know what yeah. I mean? They just worked their ass off. And that was modeled really by my dad, especially, you know, my parents. But my dad modeled that Mm -hmm. just crazy hard work, just stacking rock after rock after rock until it's a mountain, you know. And so that's Darren's in-laws. That's what they do out uh, West Coast. Yeah, on the West Coast, north of uh, Northern California, Redding, California. Yeah. So same. So I'm I'm very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up running backhoes and digging holes and doing all that stuff. And then, um, you know, I, I started, I was playing little league baseball at 11 years old and, uh, my coach would bring knives to practice to, uh, to show the parents they were hunting knives. And, you know, he was actually at that time really just getting going in his career. Um, and of course being an 11 year old boy, I'm wanting to check these knives out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I will say, I think I, I must have been a pretty responsible kid because Rick's kind of a no-bullshit guy, so he wouldn't have invited a, a little bastard into his shop, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So he, uh, my parents bought me one of his knives for Christmas, and then he invited me up there to make a, to make a knife. Mm-hmm. I made, made a knife, uh, made a couple more up there, and Rick was probably getting tired of a little kid calling, bothering him all the time, so he said, if you want to be a knife maker, you got to have your own knife shop. And so... Mm-hmm. I had a lawn mowing business as well, and I was working my parents' business, so uh, I had a little bit of money, so I bought a $250 belt grinder, and I put it in my dad's shop, and a couple other little small tools, and I just kind of went after it, and honestly, I started, I think I started making a real mess in my dad's shop, (laughs) and so he was like, "This you you can't be in here, because I was just creating a dust storm in his shop, and so... He had a little lean-to, and we enclosed it one weekend. We actually milled the, the logs off of our place, and we cut the boards and 
close in this little 10 by 10 lean to. And funny story, he actually built the benches in there, but he built the benches based on how tall he thought I would be someday. Mm-hmm. Not on how tall I was. So I had to stand on a milk crate. <laughs> and there's a picture of me in Blade magazine standing on a milk crate, milk crate grinding knife blades that when I was awesome. 12 years old. Chest highs. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and honestly, from there, like, you know, I would still take my knives up to Rick's place. Uh, Rick Dunkerley is his name. I would definitely mention his name. But I would take him up and he would critique him and pretty much never, ever told me I did a good job. Just always told me what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just kept striving to, like, honestly, like, get their approval. And I was what, – what I didn't know at the time, nobody knew at the time, was I happened to be learning from a guy and, and another group of makers, that, that whole group that we were involved with, were all about to become world-class makers themselves. Mm-hmm. So I, I was lucky to be learning from – the best of the best. Right. Um, so like as they ascended, I was like right on their coattails, just trying to catch them, but I could never catch them. Right. And it's like trying to become as fast as that kid two grades above you. And he just keeps getting uh, faster, yeah. you know, you know, um, the book, have you read the book outliers? I have not, but I've heard, I've, yeah. I need yeah. to, cause I've heard about it. Yeah. So that, that sounds similar. You read it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. similar to some of the things they talk about. And for your story, what I think about is, what if you'd lived in any other place? Yeah. Other than that one place yeah. Yeah. with those people yep. that were world-class knife makers. That's fascinating to me. That no, it's, just... and honestly, there's, there's knife makers around every corner, even back then. And now it's exploded. But even back then, like people would always be like, oh, I know a knife maker. And most of them honestly were just like hobby guys that are doing kind of terrible knives, right? Mm. Well, I, I learned, I just happened to be being taught by guys that were, were on their ascension to world-class, you know, uh, top-notch makers. So a hundred percent, like what if I didn't play baseball? Uh, Right. Right. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing how the world works and, and yeah, later on I'll kind of get into like, I've had a couple of those thoughts a couple of times in my life, like, damn, I did not see this. Like (laughs) who would have thought this from playing little league baseball? Yeah. Yeah. So what was it about knives initially at 11? You know, a lot of kids are, but for you, what, what hooked you initially? Well, and I, I was at that same age range, you know, from 11 to 18. Of course, I was also super interested in the outdoor world. My parents didn't hunt. Um, you know, we were mentioned around hunting camp last night, how we were sitting around the campfire and uh, there were a couple of toasts going on, people thanking people for things and whatnot. And we were kind of giving some thanks to some people that have helped us and it's amazing, but I had a couple guys in our town that were completely really unrelated to me that just, I I don't know how exactly it went, but basically they found out I wanted to learn how to hunt probably in a conversation with me and they invited me and they just, how old were you at this time? 12, 13. Uh Yep. 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so like a random guy in town, uh, just like started taking me bow hunting and would pick me up drop me off at my folks' place and like just taught me how to hunt and uh my uncle would take me and I remember him actually still like carrying me around through the snow and I couldn't keep up and that was when I was even littler but um I was just super interested in hunting and fishing and um I just I thought the the whole like finding animals and being out in the in nature and like the fear of getting lost and like everything about it was exciting. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
everything about it was super exciting. And most of the time was totally unsuccessful, you know, just out there trying to figure it You're out. You're in Montana though, man. Damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I, and I was beautiful. lucky. Yeah. I was lucky. Cause like our, our place did back up to a river bottom. So I could walk out from my house and go hunt deer down there and oh, man. basically bust them all out and chase them away. But I mean, I did, I learned <laughs> yeah. how to set up a tree stand and I'd sit there and I did, I ended up shooting some deer with my bow when I was 14, 15. Oh, dude, what a life. Yeah. I want to, yeah, I want to know what like bow technology was like then versus what it is now. We laugh about that. Cause I, I think I had a PSE like Thunderflight. Okay. And it was like the, the aluminum arrows, uh, Easton, like, God, I can't remember like, uh, 20, 20, 2016 or something like that. But mm-hmm. like, we were laughing because it felt like I was dropping bombs from 50 yards. <laughs> yeah. And now we're shooting a hundred yards. Yeah. You know, you're not shooting at animals at a hundred yards, but we're target practicing at 80 yeah. and a hundred yards all the time. Cause it makes that 40, 50 yard shot easier, yeah. easy. Bet you didn't know Easton's not just in the baseball. I was game. literally thinking the whole time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, 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 the knew baseball I had no idea that. Yeah. Yeah. If they had the bow and the arrow. No, just the arrows. Just the arrows. Just the arrow. Yeah. Huh. Yep. That's amazing. So yep. what, back back up just a little bit, your family dynamic. Do you have siblings? A sister, two years younger. Yeah. Okay. All right. So just the two of you with your parents, sounds like your mom's family. But as you're going through this knife um, pursuit and like drawn to it because the outdoors, love the outdoors, but what are your parents doing? Obviously, your dad helped build a shop, but like from a support in, in a dream, because you were pretty serious about it from a very young age, like you were taking apprenticeships and you, yeah. you're like, walk us through kind of that process that you did to get, you know, apprenticeship journeyman. Sure. Um, and then what master, what's the yep, master Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents were super supportive. Um, but honestly, my dad just worked so much. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time in the summer working with him, just helping in the family business. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when I wanted bigger pieces of equipment, like a hydraulic press and some of these equipment, pieces of equipment were a couple thousand dollars, few thousand dollars. So I would work in their business and would keep a tally of my wages. And just basically once I reached a certain dollar amount of a tally of, you know, my hourly wage, they'd help me buy something or they would buy something ahead of time for me that I wanted or needed. Then I'd work it off. Um, so they definitely enabled a lot of that. It was also, and I think more parents these days need to give kids more credit like kids are more capable than most people give them credit for yep. um you know i turned 14 years old at the eugene oregon knife show and i rode out there in a cadillac like boat car you know the old oh, cadillac yeah. cars oh yeah i rode out in the back of that thing thing with three knife makers um got in the car and i didn't have a ride home from oregon they were staying for a while <laughs> and the plan was like we'll talk to a couple of the other guys from Montana. We'll find him a ride home. Mm. And, and so, parents are, yeah, <clears throat> sure. And Go my ahead. parents are like, uh, like perfect family, great family, great parents. Like they weren't like unattentive. They were just like, it'll be fine. Like we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. And so it's funny. I got in the car. We got to the end of my parents' driveway. My parents, you know, they don't cuss a lot and they're pretty like leave it to beaver family. Mm. And then I'm, being raised by knife makers right. <laughs> and it's like a locker room right and uh we get to the end of the driveway and rick turns around and he goes whatever you hear in this car whatever it says in this car or on this trip stays in this car 
He's like, your mom and dad think I am a respectable person, <laughs> and we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> and, and I learned a lot over the next number of years in hotel rooms, and, you know, listening to knife makers talk. But, I mean, they sent me on my way, and honestly, I just was a kid out there being raised by a community of knife makers mm -hmm. at these shows. And, you know, I knew, like, I was a responsible kid, but I learned how to communicate with adults I had to sell my knives. I had a table set up. Mm -hmm. um, and even in my shop, you know, I was working with, I look at it now, I'm like, man, I had bell grinders and band saws. And I mean, I had some incidences in my shop that I yeah. did not tell my parents. You about. know what? That was one of the things that when I first met you, man, I just, I had to do it though. I had to look and see if you had all your digits. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just did. I just, I, just, I was just, I, just, I had to look down and go, yeah. Yeah. Got them. yeah. Honestly, there were a few times. I mean, the drill press, honestly, was the most dangerous. I was this kid. It's like hits me about here, and I'm like drilling knife blades. Oh man! As it's like, yeah, and then, like level. I'm oh. not strong enough. It like catches and it's winging around the bit, and like oh, I mean, no. there was some seriously like. I wasn't telling my parents about oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're nah. here, man. Um, but we have such a we have such like a helicopter parent mentality, and this is yeah. total tangent. But it's like we can't even let our kids walk across the street or go yeah. play outside yeah. in front of the house, <laughs> exactly. let alone jump yeah, in a true. car with some random guys driving three states over yeah. to get to a knife show. When I was 15, I flew standby to Columbia, South Carolina, by myself to spend a week with a knife maker my parents had never met. Uh, he was an old legendary guy. His name was George Heron. Um, but I flew there standby, no cell phones. We didn't have cell no, phones no, back yeah, then. Yeah. Um, and just to learn from him for a week, <clears throat> excuse me. And so the, the point is, is like kids are super capable of, of responsibility. And actually I think a lot of kids, it emboldens them like, wow, if I, if I do this and I show this responsibility, I'm going to be given more responsibility and, my parents also used my knife shop again, <clears throat> excuse me, against me. Uh, <laughs> like, if you don't get this grade, yep. you, yep. you get caught drinking, like, a lot goes on the shop. And yep. it was that way with football practice or basketball. Like, yep. my parents definitely had a, a standard yep. kind of set. But that's a great idea. I didn't even think about that. Like, let them create something <clears throat> yeah. that you can take away as a parent. Yeah. But that so is unusual. That. It really is unusual for a kid your age to have a passion, like, yeah, like you, especially in knives. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you'll see kids that have passions, whatever in whatever sport it is or what. In video games, but in video <laughs> games, exactly. But you were willing to man, to really step outside. The passion took you all over the country to learn more about your craft. It did, yeah. And to, you know, to what you asked me about, I mean, I joined the American Bladesmith Society when I was twelve. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a little cold before I came down. It's bad timing. Yeah, uh, I know you were smoking. Yeah, drive, yeah. Drive. Don't worry, Bert, Bert, we got smoking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get a get an expert over here. Uh, but no, I I I became the youngest journeyman knife maker in the world at 15, and the youngest master bladesmith at 19. Crazy. Um, and to to do that test, it's a two part test. You have to do a performance part and then a, a present your knives to a panel of judges, and so. I had to forge a 10-inch blade, uh, and to test performance, this blade had to be able to chop a one-inch rope in half in one chop, which that's just to test sharpness. Can you make yeah. something sharp? Uh, <clears throat> it had to chop two two-by-fours in half and then still be able to shave. Mm. And so that tests edge-holding ability. Uh, does the edge dent when you hit a knot? You know, Is it strong enough to get through there? And when you get through all the rope and the two-by-fours, is it still sharp? 
<clears throat> then you have to bend that blade 90 degrees in the vise without breaking it. Oh. And that that's that's a way to show uh, your heat treat. Can you make a blade that's tough, hard, but not too hard to break? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. pretty pretty incredible test. God, that's yeah. so. What about the uh, what about the struggle side? Um, you know, talking about both parenting, but also your mentality to struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had this conversation. I'd love to hear your your take. It, we know struggle is important for kids, and we know it's part of growth, but it's hard to watch. You know, yeah. our kids struggle through things. So what's your take on that? But then also what's your take on you personally? I'm assuming there's a lot of trial and error in this process of learning what you were doing. How did you approach that when you were learning? There was so much time I spent, like, thinking of quitting because I could not get the approval of those older guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were brutal on me. I'd take... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> take knives and show them they were always picking things apart and i was always looking for that like yeah that's great that's great job like i was always wanting to be on their level yeah. um and honestly i think it's that i think it's similar like if you use the sports analogy of that kid that's a couple years older than you and you're yeah. trying to catch him right and you're you're you know you get on the varsity football team but you're not starting or you're starting but you're still not quite as good as them and then you get to college and like, you just keep chasing this thing. And like, you know, and like, you think you're there, you know, get my, like my journeyman test. Like, I think I'm going to get this approval and it's like, well, you're not a master Smith. Right. Or it's like, now you're to the NFL. And mm. it's finally like after years, I still remember the first time and I was probably 25 years old when I was at a show and I think it was Harvey Dean. He lives in Rockdale, Texas. He, I handed him one of my knives and he looked at it and he goes, that was a damn fine knife. Mm. And like, that was all, that was, that was it. Like, mm. good job. And it was this, like, it took me 15 years to get that. Like, oh, like I've, I've kind of arrived type yeah. deal. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of times I wanted to quit. I remember telling my parents, like, I, I'm never going to be good enough and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what it was about me. I don't think I was in, in any way really special. I just I just kept going. Yeah. And I think that's honestly that's the analogy of basically what life is. Like, you just keep going, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, where was I? Oh, I was listening to a podcast with uh, um, a guy the other day. Um, I think he's like, he's a rapper. And he was talking about um, with gold – you keep getting thrown in the fire, right? But when they make gold, they throw it in the fire, they they pull it out, they wipe off the impurities, and they put it back in the fire. And you keep pulling it out and wiping off the impurities, and pretty soon you have gold. Mm. And in life, like, you just keep going into the fire, and you you keep learning, you keep wiping off those impurities, and you just keep learning, and pretty soon it's gold. Is that your father? Does that come from your father's traits? Because you said your your father was a hard worker, and I'm sure he had to... Overcome some things. He's a quiet guy. He didn't talk much, but he was never yelled at me. Like when we worked together, I still some of my favorite memories. He just led by example. And yeah, he never stopped moving. Like time management, uh, working hard, honesty. Like, um, yeah, I I do definitely think the work ethic side of it comes from from Mm him. Um, yeah. I love and I was listening it's kind of random I was listening uh, this morning to the radio and Jimmy Johnson you're talking about the competitiveness and like playing up and chasing those that are better than you and 
you, Darren's told the story a lot. Mm. I think the reason the '90s Cowboys were so special in that area is because that's what they were. Yeah. Is they they only wanted to compete with the best, and mm. they were this morning talking about Michael Irvin and like his competitiveness. Like when he went to Miami, we had him on the show mm. very beginning of the podcast. And he wanted, he literally walked up to the number one receiver on University of Miami's team and told him he was taking a spot. But like would go out and wouldn't shy away from it. And he yeah. was always the last guy yeah. on the field, like until the quarterback's arm would fall off. Yeah. He would, he was out there running routes. And like you see this big flamboyant personality and think, okay, he's just got it. But like that work ethic that you're talking about. But Jimmy Johnson in his book, he just came out with a book. Did you know that he just wrote a book? I heard about yeah. it. I didn't, I didn't know it and, came out. And he's got a list, his top five characteristics in a player that he would look at when he recruited. And it was number one was intelligence, two was playmaking, and then three and four, work ethic and competitiveness. Like mm. those are the, the three and four. And then the last, obviously, because he coached the 90s Cowboys is character in Miami. So mm. you could care less about character. <laughs> yeah. But, I thought you'd say yeah. a rap sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Even, made, not yeah. even made us. No, no, I could care less. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good point. At I least. think he's talking about football character. <laughs> yeah, football character. At least three felonies. Not personal character. <laughs> but but that the idea of like, yeah, work ethic, you've got to be a gym rat. you got to mm. go in and you got to be able to work or you've got to be in the shop and you've got to be perfecting your craft, but then the competitiveness, right? That's how you elevate. So many people in society today shy away from competitiveness so competitiveness, so that they can then feel good about themselves. Yeah. As opposed to like, hey, listen, there's always somebody out there that's better, right? What's that one on social media that's going around is like, you know, there's always a bigger dog out there. No, yeah. nah, somebody got to be the baddest dog. Right. Like, always chasing that person and that is how you create excellence yeah. i just feel like we shy away from that so much now yeah. in society yeah the whole hard work thing is interesting as i think more through it to me it's you know hard work to me is like digging ditches and and manual like that's hard work mm -hmm. but for you it sounds like knife making wasn't hard work you're obsessed so it's well, more obsession <laughs> maybe than hard work potentially I, I don't think so. Like, especially, I think it's more that way now with what I'm doing today. Like as a quote unquote executive of a company, that's definitely probably more, a little more true. Like it's a different kind of hard work back then. Like I was hand sanding blades, trying to get like scratches out to make the finished knife nice. And work. like, there was like a ton of work. I mean, <clears throat> file working blades and my fingers were always bleeding and cracked mm. and my wife actually gives me shit now because now that I'm this, you know, executive, my hands are soft. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Bert even heard it on the phone the other day. She was like, she was like those soft, those soft executive hands. She knows the yeah. like, city this time. Paper yeah. pushing fingers now. I'm like, you sound like Darren. I'm like, I gotta get in shape and I gotta start grinding rocks together in my hands. So. Yeah, but no, that that. Definitely hard work. And like, honestly, with back to those Cowboys, you know, Emmett Smith, you know, and when he leading rusher, all time rusher in the history of the NFL. And you know what he did? He ran through tackles. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I say, like with and you could again with football and life, like if you just get tackled in life and you quit, you don't become the all time leading rusher. Yeah, right. But oh, if yeah. you just keep running through tackles and it, it's like these guys that, you know, 17 carries at halftime or or going in the fourth quarter with. 32 yards, like not a real good game. And all of a sudden you break one for 80 yeah. and you rush for a hundred, you know, everybody sees that it was a hundred yard rush, mm -hmm. but they didn't see all that work in the, the first three quarters. Yeah. Yes. And 
honestly, that's, I think how life is like, there's a lot of times you get tackled and then all of a sudden you break one. Yeah. And honestly, you know, Bert and I talk about like trying to stay on top, which we're not like with our company, we're still not on top at all, but it does feel like we've had this meteoric rise. Um, but we like, tomorrow's a new game. Like you yeah. got to keep running, mm-hmm. you know, you got to keep running through tackles. And, um, so that, that hard work piece to me is like the number one key piece. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, yes. so let's go back. Let's go back. So you're in high school now. So when you're in high school, is the goal to go on to college or is it just to start your own shop? Even, even at that point, it was probably to take over my parents' excavation business. Uh-huh. Um, I was go to college. Well, because I kept having all these old knife makers saying, don't do this as a living. Like, this is tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go get a good job with benefits and whatever. And I was trying to listen to them. I went to college for a year. I duck hunted my way right out of that. <laughs> Where did you go to school? Uh, Montana State. Oh, yeah. nice. Bobcats. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, they're better than the Grizz for anybody listening to Montana. <laughs> Uh, it was the only school that recruited me as a quarterback. I almost went to Montana State. Really? Yeah, it was yeah. the only one. What year? Oh, wow. uh, this was 2003 I graduated, so 2003 would have been the first year. Okay, so Travis Lule was there, a little red-haired kid, but he was he was a badass. That's the, nice. like, I think that might have been the first year they beat the Grizz in, like, 20 years, and then since then we've been kicking their ass. So. Oh, nice. yeah. yeah. Wow. There's <laughs> nice. a little animosity yeah. here. Yeah. Up, huh? yeah. But, like uh, the Grizz. no, they got a good program. Grizz and Cats have a good program. But anyway, I went to college. Um, I just, my heart wasn't in it. I, I wanted to, I was an engineering degree and I'm like, I don't need this engineering degree to run a little excavation business in Lincoln. We're not yeah. building bridges. So, uh, quit, went back and I, I was working with my parents, but I just had this like burning thing of like, I know those old guys are saying not to do this as a living, but I got to try. Mm-hmm. So I quit, uh, got married kind of at that time. And as soon as we closed on our first house, like the day after I quit my day job, once we had that loan secured, say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get, that anchor, get those W2s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So quit my job and uh, went full-time making knives. And I did that uh, for about 10 years. Um, and it was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, and I was really at that point, like ascending in the knife world, kind of to the yeah. top of the game. Mm-hmm. Like at that point I was, Really, like like I say, at that 24, 25-year-old mark, like getting the attention from these other knife makers, I was winning awards. I mean, I won Best Damascus at the Atlanta, Best Damascus mm. Knife at the Atlanta Blade Show no, when, I, Damascus when I was 19. What is that? What is? Um, it's layers of steel like forged folded, together. Folded so, like, steel. a lot of people think about, like, the old samurai swords right. and stuff, the folded mm. steel. Mm. It's that. And it's it's more decorative, um, mm. but it's it's a pretty cool process. You is heat, it stronger? No. That's... The samurais, you know, there was that myth of like, hey, the more we fold the steel over, the stronger it gets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we learned with metallurgy and with time, uh, it's more about the steel and how you heat treat it. Um, but it's a super cool process, and it's it's uh, makes for a really interesting, like, basically piece of artwork. Yeah, I've actually got one on my truck right now. And what are you doing? What? what? Never know when you're going to need to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Never know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I... I started winning awards at shows, gaining a lot of notoriety, you know, a lot of magazines, and I was really ascending. And um, there was actually one cool, this is one of those moments where I ended up sitting in a spot thinking that I didn't see this coming. Uh, kind of a long story short, I I had a guy get a hold of me, wanted me to make a sword for his friend. Uh, his friend ended up 
well, they ended up flying me to London to meet with his friend. And the night before I finally asked him, like, what's this guy's, what's his name? And come to find out he was a prince in Abu Dhabi. Oh, wow. Flew me to London, went to the Wallace Collection uh, Museum in London, uh, looked at some swords. I came home, built him a couple swords, and then he flew me to Abu Dhabi to deliver those. Oh, flew me to Istanbul, Turkey to look at museum, uh, swords in a museum. But I was actually in his hotel room in London. And they had run real late to pick me up that day in London. And so we went to the museum and we came back. He was like, <clears throat> we start talking. He goes, you, you didn't have lunch, did you? It's like seven o'clock at night. And I was like, no, I haven't eaten, but I'm, I'm good. Like, he's like, no, no, you need to eat. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he had a bunch of security guys around and he goes, get him some food. And so they come over and they're like, what do you want to eat? And I was like, uh, I don't know, a burger or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And in rolls this giant, <clears throat> like, eight foot silver platter of just everything on the menu. Mm. And he goes, you eat, we'll wait. And I'm sitting in the middle of this giant hotel room in London with the ruler of the United Arab Emirates, or he was third in command, uh, and all these security guys. And he starts watching soccer while I start picking it enough food. for. And I remember thinking at that moment, I did not see this in my path. No. Like, yeah. A long way from Montana. Here. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, being picked up by the by the consulate, the uh, Arab Emirates consulate in Turkey by an armed security guard and an armed Mercedes saying, and he said, uh, you don't go anywhere for the next four days. I'm with you 24-7. And, like, having him follow me around and do everything wow, we were doing there. Man, is like, that's oh, insane. Man. Like, uh, Little League baseball can yeah. lead to some weird <laughs> this, things. Yeah, this, look, be careful what sports you put your kids in. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, those knives I was making at that time period were – Super high end. I mean, anywhere from, you know, two or three thousand dollars to thirty thousand. And so, um, and, and hunting, or were you in the culinary space? Those were like custom, custom, like kind of art knives. So they okay. were functional for sure, but more of like what people would uh, display as Place. artwork oh, in yeah. their house. And the right. knife collectors, or um, you know, buy it. You know, they would buy them as gifts and give them to people, mm-hmm. and and. There's a lot to that. I mean, I'm using fossilized walrus ivory and fossilized mammoth ivory and these Damascus blades. And the people that get into that, I mean, it's kind of like artwork for for men, yeah. right? That mm, aren't into like paintings. Right. Yeah. And they like things that are handmade. And the other thing about that is, you know, there's very few things that we pass down in this world. And it's usually knives, guns, art, and jewelry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot else that we like pass down. And, and honestly, a lot of those knives, like the, one of the coolest things I always thought about the knives that we were making or that we do make, but especially those, those will be artifacts in thousands of years. Like right. those will never get thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be in museums down the road. Um, you know, a lot of these custom makers, not just mine, but like mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. that are doing that. And, um, it's pretty rare in this world to find anything that's being made today that isn't intended to get thrown away. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. So when you're at, at this time, are you, how are you marketing, right? You don't have social media. You don't have that. Is it just word of mouth? Is it going to the shows? How are you building this business and clientele from you know, small town Montana? At that time, it was going to knife shows, five or six knife shows a year. Um, New York, Atlanta, you know, you know, Eugene, Oregon, Vegas. Paris, France, like some of these big shows. And then I was very fortunate with my story. Um, I had some 
really cool writers and people at magazines that really took a liking to what I was doing. So I was in a lot of magazines. I mean, almost monthly, I was in some kind of a magazine. So I just got a ton of coverage that way. And then as social media just was starting to come around, especially like email, I was one that really embraced like collecting emails. So if I had knives available, I could email a couple thousand people and say, but I also use it as like a blog where I would email and say, you know, this is what I'm up to, this shows I'm going to, this is what my kids are doing. And it was like, I treated it almost like it was social media before yeah, we had yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And collectors are buying the person as much as they're buying the knives. Hmm. They're buying, like, they like to know, you know, what you're doing, what you're up your to, story. what it, you're about, yeah. your story. So, yeah. um, but I'll say like, as well as it was going, you know, I had, I started having kids, uh, young, 21, had four young kids, mm-hmm. And it was, it was hard. Like I kept, I was making these high end knives, but <clears throat> they're expensive, but there's not a lot of profit. in by the time you're done, like you're mm. working on an art piece for a month. Wow. And if you want to take a week off and go hunt or go see family <laughs> or whatever, you get sick or a lot of this, a lot of time when you're making something like that, you just screw up and mm. you have a, you have a piece of steel that doesn't forge right. Um, a piece of handle material that breaks. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're using these natural handle materials that are ancient. And so you lose all that time. And it was kind of a storm of things, but that 08, 09 time period started happening and the yeah. economy started going down. Yeah. And I was like, the first thing people start cutting out of their budget are $5,000 knives. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to get us to where we are today, this whole entire time I kept thinking of this company I wanted to build, this Montana knife company. Because back then it was just Josh Smith knives. It was just me. Um and I registered the name Montana Knife Company with the state of Montana when I was 19. Dang. And I wanted to make a, I wanted to build a hunting knife company. But in my 20s, when I was trying to climb to the top of the knife world, I couldn't do both things at once. I couldn't run a, start a company, also ascend to where I was trying to get to, and also raise kids. And I, you know, I was, I didn't have the money to run a, to launch a company, mm-hmm. and. Quite frankly, I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. Like, you know, I was later ended up divorced. I kind of knew with that person, I wasn't able to run this company. Like all these factors were reasons I didn't launch it. Yeah. Even though I had a buddy, a marketing buddy was like, let's do this. Let's do this. And I'm like, I will, but not now. And I, I think a lot of times, like we, you know, a lot of people never take the jump and then sometimes people actually take the jump too early and yeah, irresponsibly. Yeah. And I had to raise my kids. So in 2010, I actually quit and I had an opportunity to take a job with the local power company. Yeah. And I got on there, bottom of the barrel, started working my way up, got an apprenticeship and I ended up becoming a journeyman lineman for the power company nice. and worked on power lines for the next eight years. I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out, a Sleep Number store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. 
They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep number is definitely changing the game when it comes to betting. So get yourself to sleep number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. Yeah, we, we just had this, this conversation with Tom and talking about duty and his mother. She didn't, you know, she couldn't pursue her dream because she was having to take care of kids. Same yep. for you. It sounds like you had to go, you know, it sounds nice pursue your passion, do what you love. Sometimes you just got to get it done and you've got to do things that provide for others and sacrifice what ultimately that you're after. And it sounds like you had to make that decision. That was the hardest. That was definitely the hardest decision in my life was quitting that. Cause that's what I'd done since I was 11. And that's what I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to go work for a corporation. Yeah, did, I mean, in that time when it got hard, did you still love it? Did you still love doing it? Um, I loved doing it, but at that point, I wasn't loving doing it for a living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved to do it, but the pressure of, um, you know, I had a two-and-a-half-year backlog, but I could only make knives so fast. Right. right. And so I constantly felt I was in this position of, if I cut corners and go faster, I can get these knives done quicker. Yeah. But then I was also trying to become known as one of the best knife makers in the world. And you can't count. That's a cut tough corners balance. to do that. Yeah. That is a really tough balance. Cause in the end you're a capitalist. You want to make money. Yes. You know, and, you want, and you need to support your family, but it's also like you said earlier, it's also the story, right? People want to buy from those that they can trust and have a story about them. Yeah. So you're trying, you're walking a fine line here. I, if you walk in my shop, I'll open up my cupboard and I have a stack of blades that I'll show you that most people look at and go, why aren't you finishing this? And I was like, well, there's this little flaw here. And they're like, are you freaking crazy? Like Damascus blade etched, like ready for a handle, probably two weeks of work in it. And it was like, yeah, but it's not perfect. Like there, there was definitely a, but I was also commanding a pretty high dollar. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. I had to, I had to adhere to my morals on that. But one. you're an artist, right? Like that's like, yeah. I mean, think about how many like poets or yeah, artists like Van Gogh or whoever is like, I just, I'm going to rush through this one and get it out there. Right. Your name is forever, especially when it was your own company. Yeah. Your name is forever going to be attached with that yeah. piece of art. Yeah. yeah. And so I get it. And that's probably also why you weren't ready to start a company because it's like, I am so I have so much work ahead of me. I can't train somebody right. and it's my name on it and it's art. Like there's no way that I could pass this pass this off to somebody mm-hmm. else just because of the, the quality that you were you were at or building to. Yeah, and I I couldn't hire people to help me with those knives because those again, if you're if you're buying a painting from an artist, you're not buying it from <laughs> his employee. Yeah. Right. right. And yeah, and you know, with yeah, Montana yeah. Knife Company, we're building production knives and people understand there's employees, but Josh Smith knives, like the name says it's a Josh Smith knife. So I couldn't, I couldn't hire anybody to help. Um, and I, and I kept having this like burning sensation that I had to do this Montana knife company, but I could not do it and, and launch that being a custom knife maker. Like the two weren't going to go together. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I got that lineman job. Uh, I, I ended up divorced single guy, just, doing the lineman stuff four kids my house burned down oh. <laughs> right after i got divorced like and no she didn't burn it down <laughs> uh, weird coincidence so i'm living in a in a i bought a fifth wheel and i set up my driveway i'm living in that fifth wheel four kids wow. going oh, to work and that at that time I was an apprentice lineman so they don't want to hear about your problems at work like no. you're just an yeah. apprentice like shut up and go to work 
And so I started building a new house while I was doing my apprenticeship. And honestly, it just felt at that point, like, like there was no gains of one yard. It was all tackles for a loss. Like Mm -hmm. just like could not, it felt like for a while, I couldn't catch a break. How long was that stretch? It was like a couple, it was like two years. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like because divorce and then after divorce, people, somebody told me it takes like three years to fully get back on your feet. Mm, Yeah. Financially, emotionally, like just the whole thing, getting it all settled out with the kids and everybody. And, um, and that part went well, um, but not easy, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the house deal. And then it's like, all of a sudden I started breaking tackles and Mm -hmm. the biggest tackle I ever broke was meeting my new wife because she opened up the possibilities from then on. So I supposed to go to a bar and just have a drink and meet some friends I got there. They ended up, they like called and no showed. And I was like, well, I'll stay and have a beer and then I'll go home and, uh, asked this girl to dance. And then her friend was there with her friend ended up being my, ended up becoming my wife. But I met her and we started dating and got married. And I was telling her about this idea of Montana knife company. And, um, she was just like, well, you should, you should do that. Like you've been dreaming this forever. And I was like, she's like, you should quit your job. And I was like, not yeah. right now. <laughs> and, uh, and I had, I had decided, like I had gotten to a point where I was starting to get back on my feet and I decided like, I'm going after it. And so the first thing that I actually did before even that was, um, they'd been bothering me to kind of not bothering me, but they'd been asking me to do that show forged in fire on the history channel mm-hmm. TV yeah. show. And I said, no. And then they're asking again. And a lot of knife makers were saying no, but then there were some guys doing it. And I thought to myself, I, I had kids that were getting old enough. They could start to understand things. And I was telling my kids like, yeah, oh, they invited me on this TV show. And they're like, why aren't you going to do that? Well, you should do that. And I thought to myself, it's one thing to sit, sit there on your couch and say like, I could do that show. Like I, I could win that show. It's another thing to put your ass on the line in front of all of America. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you, you guys know better than anybody about failing in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought I'm, I'm, and I hadn't been making knives for about the last five or six years, like full time, mm-hmm. right. Or seven years, six years. I'd been doing a little bit on the side, but everybody kind of thought in the knife world, I was like gone. Mm-hmm. I was just doing kids' laundry and trying to stay alive, right, you know? Right. <laughs> and so I did that show and I went on and, and I didn't win it. I took second uh, and I did it two times in a row. But what, but I built incredible swords on that show and kind of like showed myself and people like, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still around. And essentially I failed in front of everybody. Like I didn't win it, but I told my kids like, you can always be proud of like trying and right. going after it. And honestly, that was a big moment for me of just like saying like, I am going to get back after it. And from then on, like when I met my wife, um, She's like, you should do this. And so I started making some prototypes for this Montana knife company. And I was doing all this in the evenings after work. What years are we talking here? Um, 2019. So okay. 18, 18, 19. Okay. Jeez. <clears throat> yeah. So in 2000 and yeah, um, I met her in 16, I think 15 or 16, 16. And then, you know, we started talking about it and I did the fortune fire, I think. And like, 16 and 17 or something like that. 
And I kept, honestly, I kept talking about MKC, but I wasn't doing anything. And finally it was like, it's time to do it. Yeah. And so I built these prototypes and this is where Bert Soren comes in. I got an invite from another knife maker, which is really cool. Knife makers are very sharing and like, mm-hmm. um, it's not a closed down community. It's like, Hey, I, I got this cool opportunity. You should come with me and we'll do it mm-hmm. together. So Neil Camamore invited me to this event at Bert Soren's. It's called Winter Strong. And I knew nothing about it. Like bring a tent and enough clothes to stay warm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a cool deal that Bert puts on where he invites people. He likes to call it thin air and deep water. Mm-hmm. People who are in thin air or in that deep water, they go deep into what they are, what they're doing in their crafts and, and their sports or their businesses. And he's got everybody, you know, they, they make exercise equipment. So they make, you know, weightlifting gyms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people see like, you know, the Oregon Ducks weightlifting mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Well, they build that whole room. But Bert likes to hunt as well. And so he's combining his passions between exercise and fitness and the outdoor world. And so he'll have professional athletes there or coaches, strength coaches. Um, and he'll have bow hunters there and mm. people who are military guys who are shooters, professional shooters. He combines all these amazing people and then they teach each other their skills. Mm. Huh. And you kind of just like... Awesome. Hey, you were in the NFL, but that whole time you were playing, you didn't get a chance to learn how to shoot a bow. Right. right? So like, and it's basically, it's a giant networking. And what was amazing is I, I went there and I helped teach like blade forging for knives. And, uh, uh, I had these prototypes and I was showing them around and that particular community community was incredibly supportive. Like, mm-hmm. and we're talking like everybody there is extremely like, accomplished to the highest level olympians like all these people and then there was me (laughs) that's what it felt like is like everybody and then me (laughs) and those people were like you should do this you should go after this and i went home from there with this like feeling of just like on a mission Mm -hmm. like that i had like kind of wind in my sails Mm. and like why not and that was actually right going into covid that was february of 2020 literally flying home watching the news and like hey, this COVID thing's something and then like two weeks later the world shut yeah. down uh. and the last time that the economy got bad in 2010 and the housing market crashed I kind of ran from my passion mm-hmm. yeah I went and got a, a lineman job and I quit making knives and this time I just basically closed my eyes and just ran straight into it I'm like <sighs> I am not allowing outside factors this time to determine what I'm going to do. And we just flat out ignored COVID. And I started building, building more knives, uh, through a connection at store next. I met a guy that took some pictures and did built me a website. And I ended up offering him a partnership in my business, Brandon Horaho. Uh, I'm like, I can't afford a marketing guy. So here's, Oh, the time here's money that we haven't the made. Yet. Yeah. Here's a bunch of my business. And, Brandon's uh, like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And so we just kind of kept like rolling throughout that year and, and things were gaining traction. And finally, January 1st of 2021, well, December 30th, um, I, I needed one more day off that year. I needed the 31st off to go meet Thomas Rhett, the country music singer. Yeah. And my boss wasn't going to give it to me. He's like, well, you're out of vacation. And I was like, yeah, but I got to go meet this guy. He's pretty well known and I don't know where it could go. And he's like, too bad. And so I gave him, I said, hey, 
I, I need this day off. Like I'm telling you. And so I came in a week later and I'm like, all right, what about tomorrow? I need tomorrow off. And he's like, can't do it. And I was like, all right, I'll be done at noon. And so mm-hmm. I quit my job, went and met up with Thomas Rhett. And then January 1st of 2021 was like, let's go. Get no like, let's get it. And our goal for that year was to do like maybe a hundred thousand in sales. And we did 1.9. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Um, mm. And I say that just saying like, you know, we just kind of just went after it. Yeah. And honestly, people supported us like crazy. We couldn't afford any marketing. We couldn't afford, we didn't take a paycheck till June. Brand and I didn't take any paychecks. My wife and I lived off savings. Uh, she was still teaching school. Did you do like a, fr- a friends and family round or, or anything to raise the money? Or no, did we just... didn't do any of it. Nothing, no. We just, we just. Made blades. Made blades. So what was the takeoff and so, so what we did is we made just what we could afford. I mean, I initially made 200 knives mm-hmm. um, and we sold them. And then I made a couple hundred more and then made like 300 then made 500. Okay, now look, so you're making more knives. So are you hiring now or you got to be So hiring. so now what I'm doing is I'm I'm I started using some shops around the country to like hey, laser me some blades out, right? Mm-hmm. And found a shop that could do uh like CNC mill work and like I started partying it out all right. around the US and then we got them in, did all the finishing stuff, assembly, packaging, sharpening mm-hmm. and essentially job shopping parts of it around. Right. And like, I learned a ton because I knew nothing about manufacturing on scale. I was right. making one knife a month right. as a custom mm-hmm. knife maker. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to make a couple hundred and learned a lot of hard lessons in that process and still, still learning. But, um, that's how we did it. And then, you know, by the end of that year, I started hiring like a couple high school kids to kind of help out a little bit. Mm-hmm. My kids helped a ton, like after school mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. weekends and we just kind of kept building honestly. And, you know, now we have about 52,000 in production. Um, so it's, but still can't, uh, still can't keep those. Yeah. Can't keep them in stock, which is insane, which I I, I love the story. I love, I love that you jumped two feet in. It was like all in. I I think there's so many, and I'm guilty of this, right? It's, and, and anybody at our real estate company that's listening, I love my job and I'm going to, and I'm going to do this forever. It's the greatest company ever. I love it. But however, however, but no, but, and my wife was the same way. She's like, look, go, go do like you, you can do X, Y, Z, whatever. I'm not going to get down that rabbit hole, but, um, it's like, go all in. The problem is, is we just kind of tiptoe like, eh, I'm going to see if I'm yeah. good enough or I'm going to see this. Like you going on the show, you found out that, look, I could not win, and guess what? I still woke up the next day, and I could still yeah. make knives, mm-hmm. and I could still do it. Like, the consequences aren't as bad as I build it up to be in my head. Yeah. But I love that you were just like, nah, like, let's go. Let's 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 do this. And then, obviously, learning a whole new, like, the supply chain aspect of it. Like, oh. learning that side of it <laughs> is a nightmare, especially yeah. during this time. Yeah, yeah during COVID. Yeah, it was huge. Like, getting steel was, like, a major, yeah. major issue. Yeah. yeah. So I and mean, that and that you like, sorry to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I mean you get one life, and like I okay. could not like, like, like you have one shot up before one <laughs> shot up before yeah. one <laughs> shot, and you you could not uh, I, I could not live with myself like I talked about building this company for twenty years. I mean I I I, I registered the name when I was nineteen, 19. and I launched it when I was thirty nine. So for twenty years, I just talked about it. Is there anything? Darren, 
that you wanted to do or liked at 19 that you still liked and wanted to do at 39? No. Size women. Besides, I was going to say, yeah. there's one thing. No. <laughs> no, yeah, not that's even probably that. it. Not that's that. probably it. That's probably it. I'm sorry, babe. You're the only one You know, the question I did have for you, though, is, you know, that's a tight-knit the industry that you're in, knife making is a tight knit group, right? And there's, I'm sure, did you get any flack for going that direction? Because most of these guys are just building or making these knives for individuals, right? Yeah. So now you've crossed over. Right. Yeah. Now you're, you're promoting to mainstream. the masses. The mainstream. So are they, are you catching some negative flack because of it? Uh, no. And it's interesting. That's actually a, that's like a really good question and it's a really good observation because the custom world and the factory world are two different worlds, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. even like when I was going to knife shows all that time, I wasn't hanging out with factory knife companies. Right. I was hanging out with knife makers and artists. And so um, I think one thing that I've had a couple guys say is what they find super cool about the company I'm building is it's the only knife company in the world run by a master bladesmith. A lot of these other huge companies are run by suits or by uh, someone who starts a company because they have the business acumen, mm, but right. and they know how to go figure out that supply chain yeah. and find a couple people to hire. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, I'm sure some of these other knife companies have some people in them that, you know, know how to make a custom knife, but honestly, there's no nobody on my level. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that's part of it is a lot of those guys I was around are, are proud of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure jealousy wise, like I'm sure there's some guys that like see all our marketing or whatever. Right. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm it's, sure it's there's the haters out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard any of it. No. And actually one of those, the, the Harvey, I just talked to him last week. In fact, he's going in for heart surgery here on Wednesday and he called me to tell me that. And he was the one when I was like 25 that said like, you know, well done, you know, on mm-hmm. that knife. He called me and he was like, I'm just calling you to tell you I'm going into the surgery and like, should all be fine. And he's like, you know, he's like, but if it's not, he goes, I just want you to tell you, I'm real proud of what you're building, oh, you man, know? That's, that's and it was awesome. like super emotional moment. Cause, um, that's that, like, you're looking for, you're looking for that. Um, what do you call it? Uh, validation. Yeah, validation, validation yeah. from people that you respect and look up to. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think they're proud of what we're doing. And, honestly, I'm trying to represent knife makers and knife making in a positive light. Like, <laughs> you're not going to see us doing stuff on our Instagram or whatever that's, like, going to, I think, embarrass mm-hmm. the knife community. Yeah. Um, I've always been a big proponent of trying to, to grow the knife company mm-hmm. and teach. We put on conferences at my shop back when I was a full-time maker teaching you know it's like you know you're interested in making a knife fly up to montana and and come to our conference and i i would fly knife makers into my shop from all over the world and pay them and they would teach classes mm-hmm. knife making super open and uh I, you know and i always say this and i got to point this out like the whole becoming a master smith at 19 like are you really a master smith of anything or a master of anything at 19 like absolutely not I passed the tests that I was required to pass, but to me, that's like just the beginning of your learning. Yeah. Like just cause you get your master's degree in engineering at 26, like you a master engineer mm-hmm. or is the dude that's 60? Yeah. You know? That's and so, point. um, 
And the only reason I got so good so fast was because those old guys were willing to share. Right. And because they kept like, instead of telling me what I needed to hear or wanted to hear, they told me what I needed to hear Mm -hmm. instead of just saying like, Oh, that's good. Good job. So I go home and keep making the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were like, no, it's not good enough. Like, yeah, it's good for a kid, but it's not good enough to sit on the table with our stuff. Right. You know? So is there any reservation of getting too big and growing too, too much? Wanting to honor the, the custom side of it? I mean, is there? No, not. And, you know, honestly, it's, there's a reason I, I have two different company names. With Montana Knife Company, that's the production side, right? The Josh Smith Knives, like if I, and as we build this new building and kind of move out of my shop and give me my shop back, I still want to make custom knives. Okay. Like, I love making custom knives. Um, but no, like, I absolutely want to grow this company as big as I can. Um, but in the, I want to do it in the right way. And so, and one of those is like, it's everything's going to be made in America. Mm. Yes. Like, I had yeah. so many knife makers tell me, I remember this one guy's name, I won't use his last name, but his name is Mike. And I was standing there showing him one of those prototypes I took to Burt's. And he was like, yeah, you, you can't, you can't make and sell that, make a profit in the U S like you have to make that in Taiwan or in China. And I was like, I don't think so. And he's like, yeah, you cannot do it. And he was showing me some other knives that were made over there that, that look pretty nice. And I was like, dude, I am not doing that. And I swear Good for you. you can manufacture and sell things in America made by Americans and Americans will support that. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's, uh, I just think, the other thing that really bothers me is that people think that our country is so unfair. There's not opportunity or whatever. The American dream is absolutely alive and real. Like it's not easy. That's right. It's for sure not easy. Right. And it also yeah. like, it's not going to happen overnight. MKC seems like it happened overnight, but like, man, you got to keep breaking tackles, yeah. you know? I think the pandemic showed us that, that there is opportunity. There are a ton of companies that came up and were created over the, through the pandemic. We talked about this in the middle of it. Remember we were talking about like the opportunities because either you're going to be a victim or you're going to take the opportunity and make something out of it. And there is, and especially with social media, I mean, the reach now that you have, um, to, to just get your brand out to, you know, market, tell your story. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm somewhat of a anti-social media. Mm-hmm. Ben's always on me about it. Like not doing anything on it. Like, I'm cause anti I, as well. I, I get it. But when, when creating something, telling a story from a business perspective, I mean, there's so much opportunity that you can do. And you guys have done such a great job with that. Well, and I heard you talking on, I think it was Mike Glover's podcast. Yeah. Knives. It's hard. Like social media is very restrictive on a lot of the yeah. content. And you were talking about, yeah, we can't buy an yeah. ad. Yeah, you can't yeah. buy ads. I can't even buy an ad to sell, sell a shirt. Yeah, what? Because I make the name we make the weapons. Yeah, oh. no, we we've been restricted, and just because we make weapons now, what we might be able to get around down the road is when we start making when we're making chef's knives, but we have to. That's yeah. that's not that's different. We're gonna it's, have it's to pull food, like some some weird shenanigans, <laughs> but like with our hunting knives, we cannot. If I if we try to advertise a hat that just. Is not even a knife on it, just like a Montana Knife Company logo uh, gets denied every time. No way. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but the stuff you can see on Instagram, it's like, it's oh, amazing. Well, you can right. see naked you know, chicks, you, right, can't, yeah, you can't see yeah. that. I was going to exactly. say, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, morally, we can't show that, but yeah, right. yeah, yeah. naked That's chicks. Yeah, all, um, all, even, yeah. even like Brandon, my business partner, takes amazing photos, and he's set up, 
you know, say a knife, uh, a knife photo and you'll maybe throw a lighter in there and a cigar or something and like a couple bullets in it, like from a hunting rifle, right. And mm-hmm. try and make this like cool, like log cabin looking scene. And just the bullets alone, like it'll get, it'll get red flagged. Well, artistically speaking, your page is just, I'm just awesome. drawn to your page. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. not a hunter, but that's what initially it's just, it's just cool. Like it's just a cool company to be associated with. No, I appreciate that. And that's Brandon. I mean, Brandon does an amazing job with that, but you know, and also too, like, I think our stories resonated so much with people and especially like with launching our chef's knives, like you don't mm-hmm. have to be a hunter to want one of our knives and like we're working towards making pocket knives eventually. So just, you know, it's like if you want to carry a pocket knife Mm -hmm. and you're heading into a, an interview for a job, like it won't just be hunting knives, Mm -hmm. but, um, that whole story of, of American made American made products, you know, and building it, we didn't borrow any money. We, we haven't bought any ads. Like we're just now starting to spend some money on advertising all it's grassroots, amazing. just like so awesome. w- one brick at a time. Yeah, and honestly, right. just taking, and that's what people need to realize when they go to build their, their brand or their business, you don't have to necessarily go out there. Um, like, do I want to be laser cutting blades in New York forever? No. I mean, I want to be able to laser cut our own blades. Yeah. But does that then mean I'm going to go borrow millions of dollars to buy a laser or, or, or take a, bu- a bunch of equity? Mm-hmm. Well, no. How about you just take some time and build it slowly. And now we're starting to move those pieces in like our new building. We just built, we're moving two or three of our processes in house mm-hmm. and we just kind of want to keep chunking at it. Yeah. And, uh, I also think, you know, the whole idea of going out and just borrowing a ton of money and leveraging yourself, we didn't do that. We just took what we could afford to do and started to build it. Yeah. And that's amazing. Cause you, you built this company and you know, there's, there's, Part of the thinking that you know, most a lot of entrepreneurs say, "Hey, let's go as fast as we can. Yeah. Let's take as much VC dollars as we possibly can. Let's yeah. get out to market. It's, it's a land grab type of deal." You're not taking that right now. You're just going to continue to build it slowly. But your your, your phone's got to be ringing. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's yeah several several places trying to to buy in and buy us and do that kind of stuff. But I want to build a generational company mm, too. Yeah, like yeah. I want Montana knife company to be around forever. I want to build it the right way. Um, the minute you take that, you're now beholden to what other people want you That's to right. do. And yeah. uh, mm. honestly, like I'm making a good living now I'm getting to come down here and hunt and it's a tax write off. Like why, why get greedy and try and you go too you fast said that on the mic? Bert, <laughs> 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 save yourself. <laughs> Run. FBI, we know you're listening. Sorry. We'll edit that part. <laughs> Sorry to the new 70,000 IRS yeah, agents. Yeah, IRS. He was just kidding. Yeah, I'll, I'll get that to you. I promise. I'll get yeah. it to you. Um, but no, I mean, I, we're, I'm, as much as we're trying to grow it fast, there's just certain limits to what we're willing to do. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, honestly, even launching things like our chefs and knives were basically ready. I sent Bert one months and months before we actually launched them. Um, but they weren't quite exactly right. And mm-hmm. we just, we waited like, and Brandon was like, Oh, we got to, la- I want to launch these. And it's like, they're not quite right yet. Mm-hmm. And I just think taking that time and yeah. making it, I, I think it'll, proved to be much more solid and sustainable over time. Yeah. So I want to go a little bit into the weeds just because I, I'm that guy that if I'm in like, you know, a Cabela's or, yeah. um, you know, Shields here or anywhere, like one of the first things I go to is like 
the knife section. I don't know why. I just, anytime I'm somewhere, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a knife. I love knives, but I don't know the difference between a good and bad knife. Like, okay, is it sharp or is it not? Right. Right. So walk us through maybe just the process, right? You say, okay, hey, I get the steel, I get laser cut. Like what makes a, a good knife? And you mentioned earlier, like, okay, how the steel is made, but how do you source that? And back when you were doing it custom-wise, were you doing any of that in-house? All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. Yeah, so good question. So first of all, as far as the custom side, yes, I was buying raw steel cutting the blades or forging it, uh, doing all my own heat treating, um, like all of it, nothing like old school, like hammering it yes. like a blacksmith. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. And you can see pictures of that on my Instagram and all that uh, stuff. Like, yes. And, and that's the knowledge. That's the knowledge piece of going into the company of like wow. knowing how to heat treat steel. That's part of that master and journeyman test. Like you have to be able to heat treat that blade yourself mm. to make that blade perform. So, um, you know, and, and honestly, there's a, there's another reason I think that MKC's kind of taken off so fast is, you know, the story's great and, the, you know, all that story stuff is fine, all the marketing, whatever, but like ultimately the product has to be good. Yeah. Sure. And the re, there is a reason why I wanted to launch MKC and that's because every store, Cabela's or wherever I walked into, I would pick up the honey knives in their cabinets and the honey knives in there felt like they were knife companies that said, we need a hunting knife. And they just like had their engineers kick out or their people kick out a honey knife. But like those, most of those companies you see making those honey knives, their bread and butter is like pocket knives, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're seeing some of these major brands and they have a honey knife, but it's like the guy that designed and made this is not a hunter. Yeah. A hundred percent. He could not have been a hunter. The other thing is, is our knives can fail. And, and a lot of companies you won't see, like, you can break the tip off of our knife. If you use it improperly, you can break it. And the reason why is we make our blades thin. And the reason why we make our blades thin is I don't want to carry extra weight around in the field. Yeah. And the other thing is, is the reason I like a blade to be thin is because it's easy for the consumer to sharpen. If all you're doing is cutting with that knife and some chopping or a little bit of prying or whatever that blade's going to hold up fine. If you're going to use it like a screwdriver, it's going to break the tip mm. off. Yeah. But a lot of these companies are so scared of a product failing that they made the, make the blades damn near indestructible, yeah. which actually makes them have really poor edge geometry. It makes them cut really poor. It makes them extremely hard to resharpen. There's way too thickness, too much thickness behind the edge. When you sharpen on a stone, you're taking steel away. Well, if you have all this weight, this heft behind the edge, that's all that steel you got to remove on a stone. And the average person isn't going to be able to do that. So 
Um, steel selection is extremely important. You know, I see marketing stuff from some companies out there and they'll say, our blade is 68 Rockwell. It's the hardest blade in the industry. Well, that's awesome, but you're holding a piece of glass. Mm. So that blade is hard, but it's not tough. And the hardness and toughness in a blade is an inverse scale. The harder it is, the least, the less tough it is. Mm. And so like rubber isn't hard, but it's tough as hell. Mm -hmm. Glass is hard as hell, but it's not tough. And so when you heat treat steel, you temper it down and you're trying to find this nice balance. Is this knife a chef's knife? Well, if it is, it can be harder. It's not chopping two by fours or trees or hitting bone. Um, If it's a hunting knife, is it a little small thin one that you're going to be doing delicate like caping and small, small jobs? Or is it a six inch blade? You're going to be batoning through wood and you have to make your edge geometry and your heat treating all match that. And then you get into the ergonomics when you're inside the cavity, cavity of an animal and you're using that handle. Does that blade slip out of your hand? Does that handle feel good in the hand? Is it too fat, too thin? Like does it give you blisters when you do a lot of work with it? Mm. Um, the other thing that people don't look at, you buy this knife in a store. Okay, sir, I'll go get the sheath. They come out and they give you this piece of shit sheath that the knife's going to fall out of or that yeah. you can't carry. Mm. Our sheaths are, you know, molded to the individual blade and they're made to carry externally right on your chest where that knife is secure but accessible. I don't want to stuff a knife down in the bottom of my pack. Mm-hmm. I want to have it accessible on my yeah. belt. Um, we have ranchers that are carrying them on their belt and they're riding horses all day. When they jump off and they need a knife, they need it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. you know, military guys, survival situations, you know, uh, law enforcement. I want a bunch of buckles and snaps and shit. Right. They need that knife accessible and, you know, be able to draw it quickly. So, But that's what you're saying, right? If you got these, I'll just say gun companies making knives, right? They're like, all right, right hey, you know. Make make a knife because we've got to we've got to be on the shelf next to our competitors or whatever. Right, but you know that those guys are not hunting. Like the I didn't even think about that. Like as you as you're in there and and you know you're, you're quartering quartering an elk or something like that, and you're getting in there. Does it slip or you know can you leverage the knife in certain points points you know to cut through a ligament or to cut through some cartilage or something like that? Like mm. what where is it functional? And I didn't even think about all that. So yeah. I was like, I just think is it sharp. But to your point, you know, my knives that I'm sharpening, right? Like you've got the, you've got the cut, but then where it actually is sharp is just this little tiny, this little tiny like edge that, you know, goes from a real fat knife. Right. And then down at the end, it's just this, the point here, but how fast does it get dull? And yeah. my knives get really dull really fast. Yeah. And there's and, probably, probably spend more than $30 yeah, on a knife. Don't wear those <laughs> shitty knives and then go Montana knife. Go. And there's, there's a lot to that. I mean, we could go way down the rabbit hole, all that stuff. But I mean, the, the other thing that really bothered me, the trend in hunting in the last 10 years has been the throwaway knife, replaceable blade. Oh. So it's essentially their razor blades. And quite honestly, they're, they're, they're handy. They're, they have their purpose. They have their function. Uh, Except that they pop out. You can, you you can grab a, you can grab one real quick, throw it in and you're working on an animal. And if it does go dull, you grab another one, you pop it in, you throw it away. That really bothers me that in this society, we're getting to the point where instead of just learning how to sharpen it, or instead of buying something that's quality, I'll just buy something I'm expecting to throw away. Mm, Mm -hmm. And then you also lose that piece of like, if your grandfather was a hunter and he passes that knife down to your dad and now you like, you have a piece of family history. Yeah. And like I said earlier, we only pass down 
knives, guns, mm. artwork, jewelry. Why would we start throwing away something we've traditionally passed down yeah. for generations? Yeah, and I've th- I've sharpened thousands of knives or at least hundreds of people have come into my shop and they're like, hey, I have this old buck knife or I have this old timer or charade that was my grandfather's or, you know, he carried it in Vietnam or, you know, my dad carried it. Can you sharpen it? And I'll sharpen it. Maybe they'll put it away. Or the guy's like, it was my grandfather's. I want to, I want to still carry it. Mm. Yeah. Like he'd be proud if I still carried it. And it's not, it's nothing special about the knife. Right. Um, what makes it special is whose hands it's been in and yeah. what's been right. through. Yeah. You, know? yeah, you showed a, a, a picture, a video, and I'm going to butcher the details, but it was a family member of yours from a long time ago, right? With the yep. the, the butch, old butcher knife that you still have yep. today. My great-great-grandfather, I think it is now. I lose how many greats it is. Uh, they settled in uh, eastern Montana in Tudot, Montana. They built a Tudot bar, and he built a butcher shop. And I still have his butcher knife, and there's an old black-and-white photo that I posted. Yep. And you can see that butcher knife laying on his on his table and my grandfather is standing next to him and he's about that tall, about (laughs) three feet tall. And that's a knife that it's a simple knife. There's nothing special about it. It's like the knives we're making today. I'm making them simple for a reason. I just want them simple and to work. But what makes that knife special is that photo and that history. And it's like, you know, yeah, my grandfather, you know, like these days, like, Bert's going to pass down knives that his kid's going to be like, oh, my dad went to on a hunt in Alaska and was a bear hunt, and he used this knife, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. I just think that stuff's really cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of stuff made in China that we're passing down yeah. these yeah. days. Yeah, that's, that's good awesome. Awesome. You know? yeah. No, I love that. That, I, that draws me y'all's company for sure is the, the American-made, and, and that's why we're drawing a company like Jocko Fuel as well. Jocko's From, awesome. I mean, yeah. Jocko's... Jocko's phenomenal origin that Jocko's yeah. involved same, with. Same American concept. Made. Everything is here. Everything yeah. is domestic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jocko's a veteran. I mean, that's the other part of it. Like, why why buy American, right? Well, the first year we in existence, Brandon and I didn't take a paycheck until January. But in August, we put on a veterans event at our shop, and we flew 20 veterans in to teach them how to forge blades. Forging can actually be a super therapeutic for, thing for people to yeah. do. Huh. So if you think about it, a forge is pretty easy to attain. You can build it yourself or buy one, find an anvil or even just a big heavy piece of steel and a hammer, right? And you, we've seen veterans, uh, a friend of mine, Joe Maynard, uh, became a knife maker, but he was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. Uh, those guys, you know, you get off work at five o'clock and you have five more or six more hours or whatever that you're going to be up. And those guys need something to do. And they sit around stuck there with their demons or their thoughts Maybe they're having a rough day. You go out in the garage and you light that forge and you start beating on a hot piece of steel, like the world disappears, right? Mm, mm. You can get lost in it and make hooks for your wife's kitchen or make a gate or make knives or whatever. It doesn't matter. Decorative stuff, it can be super therapeutic. So we, and we brought in those guys and two or three of them have like fully taken off like forging and doing stuff. And that's that's awesome. From, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, somebody's listening to this, they're in the, the hustle phase, they're early on. What encouragement would you have for someone like that who maybe it's not taken off, you know, as, as quickly as Montana, which we know by your story, it's not like it yeah. wasn't overnight, but maybe it's not going according to plan. How would you encourage that person who's in the middle of it right now? I mean, and, I, and I've had guys that have messaged me and be like, I'm thinking of quitting my job. You're, jo- you're, in, you're you know, 
story is so inspiring. It's like, well, cool, but I mean, you have to be smart about it. And you have to be responsible to your family. So honestly, I spent a ton of time in the beginning just thinking about it. And there's a lot of planning involved. And honestly, a lot of these people, they think they need to quit their job. And the first thing I'll DM them back is how many hours a night are you working on it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not. Well, then you should probably start working on it at night first before yeah. you quit your job. Yes. Yeah. You know, point. what time do you wake up in the morning? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm super out of shape right now, but my only excuse I'll use, and I've told Bert, I need to end it and f- put time in for fitness. But like, it is like, Early, early, early till late, late, late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes. True. And, True. you know, uh, those people that think quitting their job and just working from eight to five are not, it's generally not going to be successful. Yeah. So start, take a little piece of it. Maybe start working on your website. <laughs> um, you know, start finding some help. So one of the smartest things that I did, frankly, was admitting that, I am not a marketing expert. I cannot build websites. I cannot afford to hire a guy to dedicate enough time. So through some good fortune of finding the right person, I found a guy and I delegated that out. And I gave him a large percentage of my business as a like, hey man, if this works, we're all going to do well. Mm. But like, I need you to be all in. It wasn't like, Here's two percent of my business that right. doesn't exist. How long did you have you know, had you known Brandon though? Was it for a long time? Or? No, I'm I uh, it was actually through Bert's people at, at uh, Sornex. I just told his photography guys and his video guys I was like, hey, I need a guy to take some pictures and build me a site. And they were like, Oh, we know this guy in Montana. Like, no shit. He's two hours from my house. So I I only knew him for those six months before we became Brandon, business partners. See, yeah. you're talking about... Shout out Brandon. Yeah, shout out Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I <laughs> so you said earlier that you were looking for uh, some seed money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Darren, you know somebody? You know somebody? I got some guys in this room that... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just no, going to just just work for you. Yeah, if, 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 we, yeah, if we fly Bruce up... Montana, I'm there. Yeah, yeah, if if we fly up, can we come check out the spot? 100%. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Come on up. Oh, no. No, it's, it's, uh, and honestly, like we're taking it, you know, this new building we're building, we could have gone out and taken a bunch of seed money and bought a fancy piece of property mm-hmm. with great business, you know, frontage, um, mm-hmm. location and all that. And we could have built a 50,000 square foot building and just leveraged the whole entire yeah. house. Right. But if it didn't work, it just goes under. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So yeah. instead, we built a 10,000 square foot building on my own property. Yep. And we did it. And I saw this economy coming. Uh, I actually went and borrowed some money this summer and just left it in the account mm-hmm. knowing interest rates were going up for when we needed mm-hmm. it later. Um, just secured that financing for if we need it. Um, make some moves and do some things that like you don't have to build. Like we're not the biggest knife company in the country and it would be pretty arrogant to think that we could become that in a year yeah. or in two years or to try to become that. Like we have so much learning to do. So, um, to those people like trying to launch a company, like just take baby steps, yeah. but a, do it every single day. That's, that's a crazy concept. Yeah. Uh, what like, are you talking about? <laughs> be patient with it. Yeah. You're not going to be an overnight success. You're yeah. not going to be all this because we were just, we're so enamored with this, like, going viral instant success like we see all these things like perfect your skill like and that's the other thing i think for an entrepreneur is like 
okay, well, what is it? What's the value that you add? What do you bring? Okay. If you're going to start something, why not just focus on that skill? Like be yeah. good at it, be great at it right. before you go and you go launch and it. And build your network. I mean, honestly, yeah. I cannot, I, I, I always tend to go back to that, that winter strong where it's raining and, you know, we're at this event and it doesn't seem like it would be much in the scheme of things, mm-hmm. but, but networking with people who can help like when we started sending out knives and those people were posting those pictures on Instagram and a lot of, we've had, you know, Joe Rogan wearing our hat on his yeah. podcast. Yeah, I was going to, I want to bring a, that yeah. up. I mean, I don't know what he charges for an advertisement, <sighs> but for him to just wear our hat for free to mm. just, because he thinks what we're doing is cool yeah. is, is incredible. And you know, there's a million other people, there's thousands of other people that aren't Joe Rogan that are doing the same thing. They're taking pictures of their knives and they're posting them on their Instagram. Guy might only have two or 300 followers, but he's posting pictures and saying how great this knife is. And that man, like build your network, uh, find out, find those people in your network that have some reach and, and, and some pull and give them product, let them try it out. So I feel like I've been to, you know, one of Bert's events, something very similar here. Um, these networking events, you know, where they, bunch of insurance guys and yeah a bunch of residents. <laughs> that's exactly agents. what it's like they, they come up to you and hand you their card and yeah. they're like hey my name's so-and-so i do this what do you do is it yeah. pretty much that sounds like my it's name's exactly Chaz. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 for sure <laughs> bunch of bunch of yeah. like monavi <laughs> and ad, yeah, yeah. advocate salesmen you know these multi-level yeah. marketers like uh, what do you do <laughs> minus minus the uh the rifles and the bows yeah, I was gonna and say, the, yeah just outside yeah See, we do it inside we're yeah. civilized you, you talk about sharing i will say y'all's instagram page your stories y'all y'all have more reposts than any other and it's a testament exactly what you're talking about it's not these massive people with massive followings like joe rogan but there's hundreds thousands of people just saying this knife this knife is amazing so Check we we and we talked about that in the car on the way down here today because at times I see our stories and I'm like, man, our, our, our people might get tired of seeing like, you go through our stories and it's like, oh my God, like, look at all these. Right. But every time you're like clicking through those stories and seeing those, you know, it's, you know, Joe in Wisconsin and it's Bill over here and you know, it's Henry down here and all these guys. Imagine if you posted a picture of yourself in a Dallas Cowboys Jersey at the stadium and the Cowboys reshared it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you post yourself mm-hmm. with a, a picture of yourself in your Nike shoes and you, you show them and Nike reshares mm-hmm. it. I feel like these people are taking time to take a picture of our product and post yeah. it on their own personal page. The least thing we can do is hit reshare. Yeah. 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 And That's honestly, cool. every single one of those people, they're like, like we get the DMs. <laughs> we're like, oh my God, I can't believe you shared our yeah. picture as if we're like some celebrity. Mm. And it was like, no, man, I can't believe yeah. you thought of us. You just shot a deer and you went on a hunt of a lifetime. Maybe you saved up money for years to go on this hunt. And you took the time in the field to say, Ooh, I'm going to grab my knife and take a picture of it and send it to these guys or tag them mm. of all yeah. the gear and your equipment. You did that with yeah. our, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I also think that's gonna, that's going to make that guy want to buy another knife. It's yeah. going to want to make him tell his friends. And again, it's that rolling snowball thing. Like Bert and I talked yeah. in the car, um, everybody's going after the Joe Rogans, which is fine. And I'm super appreciative of that, mm-hmm. but man, I'll take the thousands and thousands yeah. of just average Joe's. Yeah, but that is so special, man. Cause you got, it's the small touches, right? Yeah. It's always those small touches. People that, are, that you know, you're going to recognize those folks. And you said it earlier, you know, when you're 
as an entrepreneur, you're building a company. You're doing a whole lot of shit. And, and I want to say this because I know you're always about working out and, and you know, being sure, being, being make sure you're in shape and all that. But as an entrepreneur, I don't know how many guys that I've seen who are in shape, then they started a business. Yeah. And you're like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, you've gained weight, you've done this, you fucking grayed out and all that. It's it's a bitch, man. Yeah. And I, I trust me. I, I I got my own little small software company. You will lose yourself in the passion of what you're doing because you have to touch everything. You have to mm-hmm. you have to be so hands on on everything. You don't have time at five o'clock. Sometimes five o'clock, you have to put out some fires. Yeah. Instead of getting into the gym, so I, I kind of get it. I mean, the journey is what it is, man. It, it's it's tough. It's tough being an entrepreneur. And and I'll say it's. It's, it's true, but it's definitely, it's an excuse. Cause then I look at guys like a Bert Soren sitting over mm-hmm. there or these other guys and they're in shape and they're running bigger companies. And mm-hmm. so I do think it's definitely at a certain point you got to prioritize. And, and, and I, I'm bad about waking up in the morning and I immediately start looking at those DMS mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. five thirty in the morning, or yeah. I have an email, this and that. And then I just head to my shop. Yeah. And I, I have to be better about waking up and just saying, like, I'm not even going to look at my phone until, like, 6.30 after my workout's done or so. And But you're right. It's in that beginning phases. Oh, man, yeah. But honestly, I, I was talking to Kip Folks. The, uh, he was the co-founder of Under Armour. He's on our, our board of directors the other day. Or he's on our board. And I was talking to him the other day, and I said, man, I just can't wait till I get to the point where I this feeling of, like, all right, we've, we've made it and we're established. Like it's going to be all right. Like we're going to be here. And he goes, yeah, dude, we were $200 million company. And I didn't feel that. He's like, that's not going to happen. Like you're going to always feel like you're busy. Yeah. You know? And so I, I definitely think at a certain point, it's just about prioritizing. Like you're never going to feel like you're accomplishing enough in the day. So, so I've I've got a question. I'm just going to be transparent here is you see these guys, you know, talking telling their story and, oh, these CEOs that have these major companies and, oh, it's my regiment, it's this. I mean, how much of that do you think is actually BS? Like, like, I think guys, some guys are disciplined, but, like, how much of them are really like, hey, I get up at 4, I don't look at my phone until 6, I do my meditation, I do my workout. I mean, do you think that they've done it, like, a couple times and they pass it off as, like, every day? Or do you really think that, like, these guys are actually doing it? I mean, I'm sure there's... I'm sure there's guys that definitely aren't, but, um, I know a bunch of the people in our circle, like I'm friends with, you know, some of these black rifle coffee yeah. executives. Yeah. Uh, I, I can guarantee you when Jocko's posting that picture of his watch, he's doing it. He's, it's legit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kip folk. I mean, I, I, I think these guys, uh, I think the guys that the, the, the legit ones are definitely doing it. But to your point, yeah, I think there's plenty of guys that are doing stuff for the gram. Yeah, there are so many of these guys, and and, and I, maybe less on like the the CEO because I think in order to get to that position, you have to prove yourself that you've got discipline, you've got all that. But I think just there's so many of these motivational guys. I think if you're a guy that's that, that's disciplined without the money, yeah, and then you know you just built up this routine like Ben. Ben's awake at what four o'clock a.m., four thirty, whatever. He's lying. But anyway, yeah, for sure. I'll show you because I, like, I text him when I go to the he gym. He posts a picture of his watch and goes back to bed. I put the light on, snap real quick, turn yeah. it off. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you'll see, you know, he's, gotcha, consistently, yeah, he's consistently up. Now, you know, this has been who he is. Like, he's not going to change when he has money in his pocket. It's mm-hmm. just, it's who he is. He's built a foundation of being that. And I think that's what you see. And even in sports, man, you see guys who have been highly successful. Deion Sanders, love him or hate him. 
He's an early morning guy. He's been disciplined all his life. He doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't cuss. Doesn't. That's who he is. Now he has money, and he's even more so the yeah. same person. It's just, you know, the, the money doesn't make you do whatever. You are what you are, yeah. and it just elevates what, you, I know, think, what like, you've been doing. You look, look at, like, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. I mean, that guy, you know, got more money than anybody, and he's still working hard in his day job, mm-hmm. plus, like, the guy's posting pictures. He's got a six pack. Like he's yeah. working out in the yeah. gym. He looks like, great. Yeah. Ripped. Yeah. I mean, clearly there's guys because he moved because he moved to North Texas. That's why. It's that <laughs> a good true. move for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there's this those those different breed of discipline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about feeling like you've made it, feeling like you get there, and we we've had this discussion. There's actually a book you need to check out. It's called The Molecule of More. It's all about dopamine, and it'll explain exactly why. It's really? a good thing that we don't have that that feeling yeah. that feeling of I've made it. Right, it's a right. it's a constant reach for more. Some of us have more of it than others, and some of us were were blessed with more of that than others. And yeah, some I'm I'm totally like you. It's like, man, it would be great to to relieve the stress. Yeah, but it, it is make it makes you what you are. Yeah, and it's why you're so successful because you don't have that for sure. No, and I and back to your you know to your Instagram and the social media part of it, like, uh, social media is just a reflection of who you are. I mean, you can follow and what you're seeing in your feed and you can follow exactly what you want. And you can use that. It's just another tool that frankly is extremely powerful or can be extremely damaging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, social media for us has been phenomenal. Like I used to make knives and wait for months to go to a knife show to talk to my heroes. Mm-hmm. And I can engage with my heroes every day. Right. You know, I can talk to Bert or I can, I can DM with, I mean, I, Dude, I get to DM with Joe Rogan. Mm, like, mm-hmm. who gets to do that, like, without social media? Mm. Right. Right? Like, yeah, it, it opens up the world so much. And, you you know, I used to have to go to a knife show to see a couple thousand people or get lucky to get an article in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Social media, you can control your own destiny. Yeah. Right. You can build your own following. You don't have to wait for an article, um, a newspaper writer to write an article about you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's such a powerful tool. And it can be, you know, that whole idea of if you want to be an eagle, don't hang out with the crows. Like, right. who do you follow? You know, what do you put out there? What image do you project? Yes, it's our human highlight reel for sure. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing people need to realize. Like, you know, we even though we're, we're, we're even at MKC and myself, like you're projecting all your best things. But mm-hmm. like people need to also realize that other shit they have going on in their life, the rest of us have too. Yeah. Yeah, divorce yeah. four kids they're all in sports you know daughter's got a boyfriend or whatever yeah, yeah. um but you have to still continue to compartmentalize and push through that stuff. yeah yeah talking about the future and you know you guys just went into and launched the cul- your culinary line mm-hmm. and that went fairly well i would say yeah yeah <laughs> tell amazing. us about that did, did you see that coming that that type of reaction potentially no i i I'm always struggling to to try to figure out what the demand will be. And I'm kind of ultimately super pessimistic because I'm always just like, it, it would be arrogant, I think, for me to just be like, I'm going to go make this many thousands of knives and they're going to sell. Mm. I'm always like, I just made this many knives. Holy shit. Mm. <laughs> I don't think, I hope half of them sell. How many fit my truck that I could go sell? Yeah. And so... Um, it's always hard because we make everything ahead of time. I am not going to take pre-orders and people would love us to do that, but I'm not going to take your money until I can mail you something. Um, and I also don't want the pressure from our customers saying, 
dude, I sent you money. Where's these chef's knives? Well, mm. it didn't turn out how I wanted, so I'm redoing them. Mm. So I'm only going to drop stuff when it's ready. Um, but, yeah, we dropped those chef's knives. We put together a bunch of sets, and it doesn't even sound real, but, yeah, they, they sold in, like, 18 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Um, <laughs> our last drops, I mean, uh, most of our drops have been lasting now around an hour or so, um, but we've increased our numbers. There were a lot of our drops that were four What's or five wrong minutes. With you struggling an hour? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, love, I love your website, how they've got the ticker, and it's like, all right, next knife restock. Like, how many companies, yeah. like, have to have an ongoing <laughs> countdown to yeah. win it's yeah. gonna be it's gotta available. be fun though i mean yeah, that is freaking yeah. awesome no it's it's amazing and we sit around at night like we have a we have a our group chats called team mkc it's all of our employees mm-hmm. we sit there night texting like five minutes out three minutes out and it's honestly every single drop to me feels like the first one mm. i mean it's super before yeah like oh my god i don't think anything's gonna sell and yeah. you know and yeah. and uh um my it, yeah, it's super, super exciting. I'm super appreciative of it all. Um, that being said, we have to have knives for people to be able to buy. So, yeah. like, December 1st, I think, right in there, we're launching um, a huge number of our Speed Goat knife mm-hmm. um, to have knives in stock all the time. Because we get people, they come and they're like, oh, it's my brother's birthday on Wednesday and I didn't get him anything. Mm-hmm. Like, Or I'm going on this hunt or whatever and people we want people to be able to get something right um we're going to keep doing drops with stuff and we have lots of new stuff coming uh but kind of our real uh og knives we're going to have those available in stock awesome Awesome. um so let me ask you did your your kids go through the journey with you they saw you yeah i mean i want to go back to because you have four kids right yeah and they've seen you know the highs and the lows yep how are they going through this are they working with you right now they, I don't put on any, any pressure on them. It's, they always know it's out there. Right. If there's always stuff they can do. And yeah, they help out, uh, especially in the very, very beginning. I mean, if you have one of our first 200 knives, it's very likely that my 13 year old daughter hand ground a lot of those handles. Mm, no wow. Yeah. Like she, and she screwed a lot of them up. <laughs> <laughs> She's cost yeah. me a lot of money. <laughs> I came home from my lineman job one day and my wife's like, we ground 70 handles today. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Like, amazing she's like yeah cd did an amazing job and i went out there and i like start looking at him and every one of the handles is like <laughs> at a like 30 degree angle across the top and i'm like oh my god and i reground all 70 that night and i went in the house and said good job great yeah, you did awesome. great i love you thank you so much but yeah. don't ever do it again yeah <laughs> call me next time i may have a little something different for you but no they've been helping um my daughter my little 12 year old she loves to help package and mm. we we used to write all of the model names and stuff on the box now we have qr codes and stickers and stuff but mm. she loves putting those stickers on but she used to handwrite on there oh, man. blackfoot probably half of those are spelled wrong <laughs> um, that's awesome so yeah. it's cool and i hope like Honestly, I mean, it's like anything, right? Like, if you're, you know, you're playing in the NFL, and it's like, do your kids think that's cool? And it's like, I don't know. You play. My dad does what he does, right? right. Yeah, at so what right. age do they start to go, whoa, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think hopefully over time, eventually they'll look back and like realize how special it was, and then I hope they go do their own no, thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, It'd be cool if they all want to work in it down the road. But like Bert and I were actually talking today, like if they want to work in it, they have to provide you know, they have to provide value and push and work just like mm-hmm. any other employee, yeah, you know? Yeah. 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 My daughter, my oldest is off to college and my, um, my junior in high school, she just got a full ride scholarship for basketball and for track. So oh, man. she'll be gone 
once once she goes to school, she'll be gone for a while. And I, I think it's good for him to go away. Yeah. 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 I agree. And then maybe eventually they'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. May, yeah. Maybe not with some random dudes in a Cadillac to Oregon. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good experience. Uh, yeah. I got a uh, just a Montana question. Um, by the way, don't move there. It's terrible. I was going to say, by the way, I was this, is, that's where I was going, this is the biggest Montana lover since well, Yellowstone so, okay, so, came so out. I grew, up, I grew up in Fresno. So like Sierra Nevada. So I, I grew up in the mountains. Like I would pick mountains over oh, yeah. ocean every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, where you're at, you're not far from Darby. Right. Right. Yep. And so, so Darby is where they film Yellowstone. Yeah. I can only imagine what, it has been like the change that you've seen in what the last four years or so since the show's been on. What it's been like, people, especially my native homeland of California, all of them wanting to go to Montana. What has it been like, kind of with that? Everybody's glorified rancher, which I'm one of those because I want to be a rancher now. <laughs> yeah, but. you you combine Yellowstone with COVID, and it's like a tornado hurt, hitting a hurricane. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Uh, a lot of. I mean, just in the since 2020, the amount of people that are moving in the home the home prices. Yeah. I mean, I can't. You, around our area, it's hard to touch anything for six hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's. Mm. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, I look at land up there, and I'm and I'm like, this is this is like expensive like north texas land like oh and, and north texas has exploded but i mean you, you can't buy you can't find hunting land for less than two grand an acre up there and it's like oh god if you can find it for that that's right. what i'm saying i'm like yeah. okay this is up in the mountains like dirt road access like nowhere and i mean yeah you're seeing like 10 grand for hunting land yeah um, and it's yeah. like it's that's insane all. yeah it's a it's a beautiful area i will say um driving over here today i called my wife and I asked her what she was up to, and she was shoveling snow. Yeah, I was and just I was gonna, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was, was like, uh, it's almost eighty here. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, shut up! I don't want to talk to you anymore. I was just gonna say, I would love Montana oh, for about a, a two months out of the year, yeah. I think, and then it, I'm I'm such a wimp. Like, yeah, but we're you can't cold. beat this the scenic oh, views, man. No, I mean, uh, no. I, and I've never been. I'll just watch scenic. Yeah, on I've never TV. been either. It's, just yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. it's gorgeous. I mean, it really is. We have you know rivers. I I, I can leave my house. And be on my raft fly fishing in 10, 15 minutes. I can leave my house and be elk hunting in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, you know, my wife and I'll take the horses and we went on a ride this summer. And I told her, like, we take it for granted, but like, we leave the house and two and a half hours later, we'd climb 2,500 feet in elevation. We're on top of a mountain looking down on our house. I mean, and the amount of public land there is, it's yeah. insane. Like, mm millions of acres of public land yeah you can take your kids out hunting um yeah it's it's a phenomenal place for it's, sure uh it's blm not the blm that you subscribe to <laughs> with it, but BLM that yeah. yeah 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 not that one bureau of land management <laughs> yeah oh okay yeah so we're all on the same page what? <laughs> no but, it's yeah. uh yeah, it's an incredible. But don't move place. there. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's, awful. it's super it's cold. Yeah, super expensive. Miserable. Yeah, snow's really heavy there. It's just, it's awful. <laughs> we, we're about to start having the, uh, a Montana chapter. Honestly, I think. though, our last start it. Yeah, our last. So you guys need to been... come to Montana and come on my podcast. Yes. yes. Yeah, we yeah. do that. Do that, we and do that. Uh, we'll yeah. shoot some guns out in my field. We can shoot about three hundred and fifty yards. We can shoot guns, and we could go fishing if it's summer. Or oh man. Um, yeah, whatever. So it'd be fun yeah. to have you guys up. Uh, what do you fly into? Missoula. Missoula. Yeah. Well, that's have to wait until next summer, though. Cause, and know, there's a direct flight. Cold. I mean, my flight here tomorrow is direct home. It's, Is it? Yeah. 
So we can fly. I already booked it. I'm, I'm coming. I'm, You're coming already? I'm coming in two weeks. Missoula. <laughs> is that where Andy Stump, is he, is he there? He's in Kalispell. Kalispell. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We had him on very early on in the, yeah. in the podcast. But oh, it, did you? Yeah. He's, yeah, I think he's starting a black rifle. He is. He's, uh, opening yeah. Up February a 18th is his grand opening yeah. up there. That's awesome. Mm. Yep. Is he doing it in Kalispell or Whitefish? Yep. Kalispell. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's... Yep. Kalispell is about two hours north of me. That's where my business partner okay. lives, Brandon. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. No, Andy's a great dude. So your town is where in my, what? Just west of Missoula, 15 miles. Okay. It's like right in the center of the state, but to Closer the west. Closer to Idaho, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm only an hour from the Idaho line. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, behind my house, it's just river and then mountains. There's one paved road between my house and Boise. And it's, oh man. Yeah, it's just all wilderness. The Frank Church wilderness and the Selway. Come on. It's bro. epic. Yeah. Does that get old? I mean, to me, that sounds amazing, but yeah. living there every day, do you get used to no, it? No, I mean, you know what? Uh, honestly, Texas kind of made me realize it. So this spring, I was down at Black Rifles uh, Ranch here in Texas, and they had a veteran adaptive athlete shoot where they teach, or they, they have veterans come in and shoot bows, but they adapt all the bows to the veteran to his injury. Mm. So, if he has to use his mouth to draw the string because he's mm. missing an arm or whatever, um, it's a really cool event. But I was down at that, and uh, I went to the total archery challenge that they had down there, and we were shooting. And our total archery challenges are on ski hills, so you're at eight, nine, ten thousand feet, and you're hiking mm. these epic mountains. And Texas's total archery challenge was like through these little bumpy hills, <laughs> through the scrub brush, and I was like, and they call them hills, by the way. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like. Everybody always, you know, marveled at our mountains when they came. And I honestly don't think ours are that epic because, like, Colorado has some amazing mountains and mm, sure. yeah. Canada. And uh, I don't know. The Tetons are pretty awesome. The Tetons are incredible. Yeah. Jackson Hole. Yeah. And I, I flew home and I was like, we do have mountains here. Like, this <laughs> right. is pretty good after being in Texas. <laughs> this isn't bad. Oh, though. man. We have this mountain up. Uh, I'm up in Salina, which is which is about an hour north of here. Um, closer, closer to Oklahoma than it is Dallas, for sure. Um, but they have this a mountain there. They call it Cow Mountain. I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's an elevation change of like 80 feet. <laughs> And it's a mountain. It's a <laughs> legit mountain. That's what they call it. It's, it's a freaking landfill. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. No joke. Yeah. Birds on it. Yeah. Bunch of birds. Oh man. Oh my well, I gosh. Love it. I love yeah. It. We know we got to let y'all hit the road, man. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was. And, yeah. No, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me yeah. on. Your man. story is is very encouraging, very inspiring, and and because it's real, and it's not like a go-getter you know motivation speed like it's a true story of of encouragement of of just staying with it and yeah and never letting that dream fully die and and i love the question you ask people is how many hours are you give it to it a night yeah i love that, that yeah. that's so that's such a good question to ask of you know you can do the things that you know you can perform your duties but then pursue that thing on top of it if it's something you're really after. And I think that's what, that's, that's the biggest thing I took away from your story. There's only, there's 24 hours in a day and you only work a third of them at your job. Mm-hmm. So that's two thirds of your day yeah. that's available to start to build your dream. You know, Damn. I love that. You know what? The, the thing that I've, I've taken away meeting <clears throat> you and, and going through this conversation is, and, and I hope that maybe entrepreneurs or someone that's like trying to figure out what their purpose in life is and, and what they want to be doing is uh, 
I, I feel like you take a wholly authentic approach to it. Just your answers on how you respond to, to customers and fans and, and how you're creating the, the product itself and what you're creating in the process. Like I just like you scream authenticity to me. And that's what, that's what, why the Joe Rogan's right. I mean, those, those guys, Bert, I mean, you guys are around people all the time that have big names or have big followings. Like you can cut right through the bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things that just kind of screams to me, man, is just authenticity. And, and that sells today in this culture. Cause it's so hard to find. Mm -hmm. If you want to yeah. build something worth building, Build it authentically. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't yeah. try to do like be you, be real, and stick to your principles that you believe are important. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That's that means a lot because that's something that I I'm. It, it's super important to me that like I'm not anything really special. I'm not anybody really special. I just do what I do, um, and I honestly think other people have that. I think they have that in them and and too like if if you're trying to find what it is that you uh are inspired by or want to do like try a lot of different things yeah. like yeah. man like especially when you're young and you're getting out of high school if you don't want to go to college like at any point in history more now more than ever yeah. you can get a job sweeping the floors at a place and be the marketing director in eight years like yeah. people yep. will train you how to do what they need you to do like yeah. And if you don't like it, quit. I mean, I've, my own daughter's in college and doesn't know what she wants to do really, but I've encouraged them like, Hey, if you decide school's not for you, that's fine. But like leave home, go get a job, take a chance and work a lot of different things. And I, I tell, I, I spoke to a high school, I've changed my profession now, what, three or four times between doing the dirt work stuff, being a knife maker being, I actually got a job when I was at Northwestern Energy. It was first on the gas side to become a welder. And then I jumped over to the electric side and became a lineman. And then back to Montana Knife Company. And it's five times since I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks I've just had it figured out. Like, right. oh, you've just been a knife maker since you were 11. Like, yeah. That's I think it, that's man. that's it. I mean, yeah, it, talk to talk to the guys like myself. Like, I'm, I'm getting close to 40. And it's like, it's never too late to follow something that you really That's believe right. in or passionate yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, Just being resilient. Yeah, I mean, Darren, I mean being, Darren's... Going through, a, going through a divorce and then, you know, mm -hmm. losing your dream for a while and going back to being a lineman and then, you know. House burning so down. House yeah. burning. I mean, yeah. you've overcome so much, man. But I think the one thing I really got out of this today is you said that you created, you made some knives that didn't meet the bill. Mm-hmm. And that you didn't put them out there because they had some imperfections. Right. Right. And I know what you're thinking that I'm going to say, but what I'm going to really say is this. Those knives that didn't make the, you know, make that list, you can send them to us. So <laughs> yeah. We will take those some bitches in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Like, won't we? Yeah. We won't advertise. We won't advertise. <laughs> you thought I was going to say morally you did no, the right man, thing. I, I, them I, like, I respect yeah. that. What no, an no. idiot. You know, <laughs> on second thought, on second thought. <laughs> On second thought, I will take a pre-order for those. <laughs> Tell you what. Send me a check. 3% discount. Yeah, send, send, me a check and, uh, send me a check and we'll see about the delivery date. No, man. We had a great time, man. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No, great time. We had a really you good guys. time with you. Bert, you're next. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, guys. Thanks, yeah, Thank you. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks, appreciate everybody. It.